Hi, and welcome to the Well-Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we are librarians who love to read and talk about books. And today we're doing one of our favorite kinds of episodes, which is our book preview for this coming fall and winter. So where we talk about uh, some books that we're either excited to read because we haven't read them yet or excited for other people to read because we read advanced copies of them. And so we're excited to talk about them. So one thing I think we wanted to talk about before we just jump in and start listing off titles is this strange year that we're in, um, (laughs) which is, of course, strange for so many reasons. But it has really affected the publishing world where so many books have had shifting publication dates because of COVID. I think for for various reasons, I know, and you may have more insight into this than I do, Anne, but I know that uh, some publishers that I communicate with for the committee that I'm on, I mean, their warehouses shut down at, yeah. in the spring, so they couldn't be shipping at all. I was listening to a different podcast, and the author Jennifer Weiner was on there, and she writes kind of beach reads, I would say beach books. And they were talking about her book that came out uh, big summer being pushed back to summer of 2021, uh, partially because bookstores were closed and libraries were closed and people weren't going on beach vacations and taking books with them. So they had talked with her publisher about doing that. and, And she decided, no, she wanted to actually they they ended up pushing her book out early as something kind of nice to the readers of her books that they could get their hands on it a little bit earlier than planned. But um, lots of lots of changing publication dates. Is there any do you have any insight Anne, in your role at your job that you would know about? I don't know if it's necessarily insight, but I'm basically seeing what you're seeing. And I, I feel like it it's definitely a combination of that things just had to shut down for safety's sake. And also, there are lots of books that are being pu- pushed back because they know that it's not going to get the book tours that they want to do and mm-hmm. right. um, so all of the marketing plans that they have they they'd rather instead of um, adapt those marketing plans just put them on the shelf mm-hmm. and wait until next year so there's a book that I I think I talked about is what uh, what I was reading this week that's the Paris library oh, yeah. um, mm-hmm. I talked about a long time ago and that one I think had just was expected to be published right around the corner from when I talked about it. And now it's pushed back until next year. And so I know in the case of that one, it's because they have so much excitement for it mm-hmm. and they, they want to do a lot with it and, mm-hmm. and it doesn't do it justice if they, um, if they just put it out and mm-hmm. the author can't really right. do promote appearances it. or anything. So, so I think that in our spring summer preview, I talked about, the new Yaa Jassy book, uh, Transcendent right. Kingdom, is that what it's called? Yes. Yes. Which I was picking out the books I was going to talk about for the fall winter preview. And I said, oh, Yaa Jassy, I have to talk about that one. And then I was like, wait, <laughs> I feel like I've already talked about that one. Yeah. And I had, but now it comes out in September. Well, and it's it's interesting with especially that one because it was already scheduled for, I think, the end of August right. anyway. It was so yes, yeah. Because I'm pretty sure it was the last book you talked about. Mm. And so it isn't as though they shifted a major date with it. It's mm. just kind of a little finagling. So I'm I'm not sure if that just gives the publishers a little bit more time to do mm. what they wanted to do with it. Or if they decide, well, this is, we didn't have as much of a, um, a summer season. And mm. so we're going to really put everything into it's our fall. fall season. I, I'm, I'm curious about some of the decisions on that, but I haven't heard, a, especially on that book, I, I don't know anything, but I haven't heard quite as much as I expected to from publishers of the decisions they were making. But it definitely has messed up my work quite a bit mm-hmm. <laughs> because yeah, we have to yeah. add all these different um, steps in to make sure that we're putting things on the right season um, of sending out lists that we're doing. And if we have a customer who says we don't want things later than a certain publishing date mm-hmm. in order for their, their uh, library order to be processed correctly, then <laughs> I have to do a bunch of other things. And it's not, you know, terrible stuff to do, but it just is another step of right. making sure that the publishing dates haven't, haven't changed. And in fact, I just did a, a list uh, last week where between the time that I ran the list and then um, basically, I, I run a program and get all the stuff I want to do, uh, like all the titles I want. And then um, that's a static list. 
um, in the time that I ran that list and then looked back by the time I had finished making the list, there were like 50 titles that had shifted. Oh my gosh. And I, it was very frustrating for it, me. It does seem to me as far as the um, warehouses go, being slowed down or closed, I feel like that, at least again, from my very, very specific situation of communicating with certain publishers for books that seems to have gotten at least a little bit more back to normal yeah especially from I would say between like April and June is where I really saw it and then now in August and then approaching September as as we're looking at the books that are coming out in the next couple of months I feel like it's getting more back to normal and we're getting books more quickly and things like that so well and and also some of the printing presses Right. either right. shut down or they went out of business completely. Right. And so that's been a big... Well, and um, I wonder if, at least at first, the understanding was it was a very temporary right. stopping of uh, production. Right. And then when publishers recognized how long it was going to go on, that they figured out ways to try to get back to something closer to normal. But yeah, I don't know. I mean... No, no judgment to anybody for any decisions they made to try to keep people safe. Uh, right. But it, it definitely has had an interesting impact that I've not seen before. Um, yeah. In, in this magnitude on publishing date changes. Yeah, and definitely all of our the books we'll talk about are subject to change. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I know. Talking about mine, them again. Most of mine are. I think all of mine actually are just September and October books, and I did that kind of purposefully because I thought, well, I hope that these stick to stick around. Um, yeah. But I don't know. There's always a possibility. That yeah. It'll, it'll change. All right. Well, having said that, why don't we just start sharing what our books are? Okay. I went through my books and I realized almost all of them are mysteries and thrillers <laughs> and horror. And I normally try to mix things up a little bit. But I didn't this time. <laughs> so um, you can bring the romance. I only I have will one bring... romance. Are you serious? I know. I guess it's not so much the publishing season for romance in the in the fall. That that seems a little bit more summer heavy to yeah, me. Yeah, and I just I don't know. I wasn't I wasn't feeling the draw to talk about romances. I don't know why. It's a darker year. Yeah, I don't know. Some I I I always love a a good romance, but sometimes. I'm less inclined to read the ones that are just okay to yeah. me. Um, and so, I, don't, I mean, I, I'm talking about one that I'm very excited about. Um, but uh, there was only one, yeah. This this will be our our black season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I still, I mean, I'm very excited about all the books I'm talking about. They're still very much me, but only one romance, yeah. Interesting, Okay. Okay, so my first book is, I think, one actually that has been pushed back from when I first heard about it. I, I'm not 100% sure on that, but it's Eat a Peach by David Chang, and it comes out on September 8th. And this is written by David Chang, who I kind of think of as the beginning of the new era of trendy and edgy chefs that sort of emerged in the mid-2000s. Definitely Anthony, Anthony Bourdain was part of that, but he was a little bit earlier and a little bit more fine dining. But David Chang seems just like a cool kid who who's had all the skills of fine dining, but applied it to a more casual atmosphere and definitely was a part of the shift from a purely European focus on food to more of a a global focus. Um, I sort of think of him at the forefront of that. So he was the son of, or he is the son of Korean immigrants, and he turned to a career in food after he had tried several other jobs. And he started out in fine dining, but he grew dissatisfied with it pretty quickly. And so he op- opened up Momofuku Noodle Bar in New York City in 2004, and it was an, a huge success instantly and sort of made his name. And so he has opened many more restaurants and created uh, dishes that have been trademarked and eventually built a worldwide restaurant empire. And he's um, written books and he hosts a Netflix show. And through all of that, of being this this crazy successful person, he's see, still seen as being really hip, which is kind of 
fun. Usually people sort of lose their identity a little bit more. So this is his memoir and how he did all of that while also struggling with his mental health. And I think that in the, I think the, this book is the first time that he's revealed that he is bipolar. Mm-hmm. So um, I love a chef memoir. I've, I know I've talked about <laughs> them before. They're definitely not all created equal. And I think that because his brand isn't really self-aggrandizing, that this one should be a really uh, refreshing memoir mm-hmm. to read. So that is Eat a Peach by David Chang. Yeah, that's on my list as well. Probably an audiobook. I've said before, I always love memoirs on audio. And so Ooh, that's a good that, idea. I think that's one I will try to listen to. Yeah, that's smart. All right. So my first one is When No One Is Watching by Alyssa Cole. It is supposed to come out September 1st. Uh, I've actually read this one already. Um, I read it over the summer. And it is, my understanding is inspired by the movie Get Out, which I have not seen, but it's a, (gasps) right? Oh, it's so good. I know. I know. But it's horror, right? And horror is not always my thing in a movie. But but it's not gross out horror. Okay. At all. I'll probably be okay with that then. I do want to watch it. Yeah, I think you'd be fine with it. Yeah, I do want to see it at some point. But I just, it wasn't one that I rushed to see when it was out because um, I am a scaredy cat. But uh, so (laughs) this is is about a woman named Sydney Green who was born and raised in a Brooklyn neighborhood and has recently returned uh, as an adult. Uh, She went through a bad breakup and she's coming back. Her mother is ailing and so she's going to take care of her mother. But she's kind of at loose ends, not exactly sure where her life is going, I would say. And then she, so she comes back, but she knows the neighborhood very well. And she notices all of these new people have moved in to the neighborhood. And they're, people are buying up the properties that have been around for years and years. And they're turning them into these brand new condos and the prices are skyrocketing. And she's just not so sure about about what's happening in her neighborhood. And then what part, one of her jobs that she's doing is giving walking tours to share the history of the neighborhood and sort of subtly show like there's value in this neighborhood that shouldn't just be torn down to build condos. And what, on one of her tours, one of the new residents named Theo takes one of these walking tours. He's just recently moved in with his girlfriend. And Sydney is watching them interact thinking, they don't really seem to like each other all that much. She's uh, The girlfriend's kind of mean to Theo. Um, and Theo, there's a moment where I think Sydney makes a joke or she she shares some information. And Theo seems like the only one in the, crowd, in the group uh, that's on the tour that really kind of gets it. So they kind of have a moment of connection. And then his girlfriend's rude about it. And, and so they kind of just go their separate ways. But Theo is intrigued by her and, and wants to pursue at least more of a friendship with Sydney. And then Sydney starts getting creepy phone calls and she's hearing things in the walls of her apartment. Mm. And the way Alyssa Cole builds a story is you don't really know how much of it is in Sydney's mind versus what is really happening. Um, And you're also not sure Theo seems like a, a good guy and he wants to help and he seems kind of appalled at what's happening in the neighborhood as well. But uh, he also is one of the people that just recently moved into the neighborhood. So you're not really sure of his motivations. So if if you know Alyssa Cole's name, this is obviously very different from other things she's written. She's mostly, as far as I know, written all romances before. She's written both historical and contemporary, um, some of which I've talked about on the podcast before. And this is definitely more of like a thriller slash horror novel. Um, but there are a lot of her trademarks here. If you have read her romances and liked them, I think part of why people like her romances so much is because she writes really strong characters, especially the women in her romances. And uh, the story just absolutely pulls you along. And she she also injects a lot of current world issues in her books so even his, her historical romances would touch on that in and bring it and bring things that felt very modern into even her historical romances so she does that again here so I struggle to say I enjoyed this book because it's it's basically a book about racism and gentrification and the horrors <laughs> of that but it was it was very compelling I could not put it down when I was reading it and I think that this is an 
a very interesting direction for Alyssa Cole to go into, and she was very successful in in moving into a new genre. And she clearly, in my opinion, you can tell she's angry, and that comes through in the book, and rightfully so, um, about some of the things that are happening in our world. So that is uh, When No One Is Watching by Alyssa Cole. This is one that we, for the listener, that we fought over who got to talk about it because I'm so excited for this, too. It sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think she even wrote, I think she wrote an article. It had to be her because it's about the plot of this book. There's Mm -hmm. no way that someone else wrote this article about an experience where she went on a walking tour and this essentially... um, happened to her where Mm. where it was very white based and she was trying to make a point about how Mm. other people live in this neighborhood Mm. successfully and and basically was sort of shot down by the Mm. tour guide and and it was really really interesting yeah yeah so so yeah it's based in fact apparently it's good it's a good book yeah I'm excited. So the other one, uh, (laughs) the next one I'm talking about is one we fought over as well. (laughs) I think fought might be Yeah, when I say fight, it's that we sent a text. We never fight. It's like, hey, would you mind if I talked about this one instead? Sure, that's why. (laughs) I'm trying to create a mystique. (laughs) Sorry. I just burst that bubble. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, from from listening to us for five years, people have, have thought on. that we <laughs> we clearly hate each other. Yeah, it's this terrible. All facade <laughs> that we enjoy talking to each other. <laughs> okay, so the next book is The Searcher by Tana French, and it comes out on October sixth. And this is the follow up to her universally beloved and indisputable masterpiece, The Witch Elm. <laughs> False. <laughs> that is our true fight. <laughs> That is our that that is a hill I will die on. That book was too long. And same for me, I will die on this hill. So this is why this is going to be the downfall of Well Read. I liked the end of it, but oh, that book was too long. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, so this is another standalone. Um, so no telling when she'll go back to the Dublin Murder Squad series. But the main character is named Cal Hooper, and he's an American, and he's a retired detective from Chicago who has recently divorced, and he moves to a remote Ir- Irish village where he just wants a quiet life, and he wants to fix up the cottage that he bought and not think about police work anymore. Um, which, of course, doesn't work because a local boy asks help for finding his brother who has gone missing and the police in the town don't seem to care and Cal just can't resist that. So um, that's basically all I know about it. But I've read some reviews that said that this is a slow burn and it's even slower than the witch elm. Oh, good. So I can't wait for our discussion. Oh, I'm OK with the slow burn, but <sighs> I just I'm glad I will be mentally prepared for it. That because I yeah, wasn't. I, I read one. Elm. Yeah, yeah, that that maybe could make a big difference. Yeah. Um, I read a, a Goodreads review from from someone I follow who said the first third of the book is about him refinishing a desk. Jeez. <laughs> oh man! So we'll see. I'm excited. It's uh, called The Searcher by Tana French. <laughs> Tana, what are you doing to me? I have 300 <laughs> books to read this year. There's no room for a slow burn. <laughs> <laughs> All right. My next one is His Only Wife by Peace Adzo Medi. And I am apologize. I'm not sure I'm saying that. I'm not sure I'm saying that last name right. Uh, it also comes out September 1st. And this one definitely caught my attention because I read the synopsis and I thought it was going to be this serious literary novel. And then I read the reviews and everything was saying what was a delight. And it was like crazy rich Asians. And I oh. thought, okay, this is different than I thought based on what the description was but I'm basically I was all in either way but when I learned it was kind of a fun romp I thought I'm definitely in so it starts at a wedding and the bride's name is Afi and she is beautiful and she is a talented seamstress but she is also dirt poor and she's from the country so it takes place in West Africa and the groom is from a very wealthy family he has a mistress that his family desperately wants to get him away from her and marry him to somebody that's more uh, reputable. So the matriarch of the family sets up this match where it will really benefit Afi's family because she's going to 
get um, go from being poor to having money, basically, and her family will benefit from that. But when she arrives at the wedding, the groom isn't there. And they end up performing the ceremony with a stand-in for the groom. So they're married, but she, she, I think she's met him, but only once or something. And then he's not at the wedding. She ends up moving to a city and gets set up in an apartment, this very lavish, luxurious apartment. And still her husband has not shown up. So by the time he does, she is incredibly lonely and, and angry that he has done this to her but he is extremely charming and handsome and also refuses to break it off with his mistress so it seems like from what I can tell because again I'm trying to marry this idea of funny crazy rich Asians with a man having a mistress and being married which (laughs) they don't seem to go together to me but from what I could tell it seems like it's going to be the story of Afi going from a naive country girl to a well-to-do woman who knows her own mind and is going to speak her own mind and she is not going to be okay with her husband having a mistress. So again, doesn't really sound like hijinks or anything, but that's what the (laughs) reviews are saying, that it's this Crazy Rich Asians. I think partially because of the wealth of the groom's family is the Crazy Rich Asians comparison. But I mean, multiple reviews refer to it as delightful. So I am so interested in this one. I just want to read it just to see how this storyline turns into something funny and light uh, because it doesn't sound particularly funny and light. So that is His Only Wife by Peace Adzo Midi. Um, Okay, next is Leave the World Behind by Ruman Alam. And um, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, actually. That's how I would say it. Okay, good. Um, Ruman Alam, maybe? I'm not sure. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Um, So it comes out on... October 6th, and it's about a couple named Amanda and Clay who are New Yorkers, and they go to a luxurious and and remote, basically Airbnb rental on Long Island for a week with their teenage children. And they're eager eager to get away from the city and just have this this week of relaxation. Um, But late one night, they get a knock at the door, and it's the couple who owns the home, um, who is a wealthy black couple. And I think that I, I infer from the description that Clay and Amanda are white, but I, I'm not 100% sure on that. So this this couple comes back and they say that there's been a blackout in the city and they've had to come back home because of that. But because this area is so remote, is so remote and there isn't really any cell service or anything, that they can't confirm what this couple is saying and they haven't met them before. And so they don't trust them. They have no idea if these are the people they say they are. So, um, which just sounds like such an interesting premise. Mm-hmm. So this sounds like it's it's a departure from the uh, previous novels of this author, but mm-hmm. it's still dealing with the friction between race and class, but it just has a thriller plot along with it. So mm-hmm. it sounds um, just perfect. The cover is really creepy too. So I'm, I'm super excited about this one. That is Leave the World Behind by Ruman Alam. Yeah, that's, that one's on my list too. Uh, I didn't fight yeah, you looks... for it, but it was it's on, <laughs> it's on my true TBR list. Yeah, yeah. All right. My next one is One by One by Ruth Ware. It's supposed to come out September 8th. And Ruth Ware has become a must-read author for me. She puts out about a book a year, I think, um, for maybe the past five or six years. And every book she writes just completely sucks me in. One of the things I like is I feel like all of her novels take inspiration from classic mystery stories or movies and so I think that's really fun and this one sounds just excellent it's about eight employees of an online startup who are at a corporate retreat in the French Alps and they're staying at a luxury chalet and they are all shareholders of this online startup and so part of the reason why they are doing this retreat is to determine whether or not to sell to somebody who wants to buy the startup and Some people want to sell and some people don't. So there's friction and there's an avalanche that strands them all at the chalet (laughs) and there's no electricity and there's no way out. And then people start dying. And so there is there are very few mysteries that I love more than a locked room mystery. And I think Ruth Ware is very, very talented at building tension. So I can only imagine that it's just going to ratchet up higher and higher. And um, like I said, like, to me, this feels very Agatha Christie-esque of um, being in the remote place and somebody, people start dying and you have to figure out who it is. Uh, So that is One by One by Ruth Ware. Oh, it sounds so good. I really, really loved her last book, yeah, too. too. So I've, too. I've read others that I 
I enjoyed, but not yeah. as much as that last one. And yeah. so I have high hopes for this too. Yeah. Um, okay, next is The Once and Future Witches by Alex E. Harrow, and it comes out on October 13th. And I am still 100% in the witch phase that I was in last year. <laughs> so I want to read all the books that are com still coming out. Um, I, so I'm excited for that. This is set in 1893. And in this world, witches have been eradicated through burnings. And now they're just a quaint memory. Whereas women used to take power through magic, now the modern woman wants power through the vote, not not from doing spells. So um, there are three sisters um, named the Eastwood sisters who join the suffragists in New Salem, and they realize that the power that witchcraft uh, could bring to these women would also help in the women's movement. So they um, are up against people who want to try to stop women from having the vote and want to kill witches, but the Eastwood sisters um, realize that they have the ability to bring back feminine power as it once was. And you have read this one. So I hopefully described that correctly. Yes, you did. Okay. You did, yes. Good, good, good. Um, is it fun? It is. I think you will really like it. Oh, good. I think it will be right up your alley. Yep. Cool, cool, cool. Um, so that is The Once in Future Witches by Alex E. Harrow. Yeah, I... I... I didn't realize quite how many of these I had read as we were, until we're, <laughs> we're like actually sitting down and talking about it. Thank All you, right. committee. Yes, thank you, committee. Uh, so my next one is Homeland Homeland Elegies by Ayad Akhtar. Comes out September 15th. And this one sounds so intriguing to me. And I am so sad because I'm not going to have any time to read it because of my committee commitments. And this will not fit into any of our categories. Sometimes I can kind of stretch <laughs> it and think, well, yeah. maybe I could consider it. But at this time of year, there is, unfortunately for me, there is no space for it. So I'm going to have to wait to read this one a little while. But I thought I would share it so all of you can read it. It is a <laughs> novel in short stories, which I always just absolutely adore. And it also sounds like it's sort of a memoir. Um, so it's like a novel slash memoir and it's split into eight sections based on musical movement so oh just the structure and the combination of it being kind of a memoir or kind of a novel based on the author's life makes me want to see what he what he does with that it sounds like it blends social commentary with a family drama because it's about a man born in america to pakistan pakistani immigrants and raised in Wisconsin. And it's all about how he is considered other because he's Pakistani, but he, he's also a very, very successful playwright, which the author actually was is a very successful playwright. And it's about his relationship with his father. And his father was very unwaveringly pro-America. You know, the American dream meant a lot to him and he believed in it and then eventually became disillusioned during the Trump presidency. So it sounds like it's very current and has a lot to say about immigration issues right now. And so I, I just think I'm I fascinated by what he's going to do with the story. So that's Homeland Elegies by Ayad Akhtar. That's really interesting. Yeah. So sounds cool. Okay, next is Plain Bad Heroines by Emily M. Danforth, and it comes out on October 20th, and this is the adult debut of a YA author, which is kind of a trend right now, actually, of, of lots mm -hmm. and lots of mm -hmm. YA, like established YA authors are, are writing their first adult um, novel, which I'm pretty excited about. I found a description of this that said it's a illustrated queer horror comedy metafiction. <laughs> so there's a lot going on. <laughs> here um and i i hopefully got it all in it's the the blurb that i read was so long so i i hope i distilled it enough mm -hmm. so it begins it begins in 1902 at a new england girls school called uh brook brook Hunts, um where there are two girls named florence and clara who are obsessed with each other and they're also obsessed with a scandalous best-selling novel by or memoir rather by a woman named mary mclean and the two girls uh, establish a fan club for this this um, author that they call the Plain Bad Heroine Society, and they meet in an apple orchard to be in love with each other and to sort of live out this book. And and so this this place is is very common for them to go to. But later, their bodies are found there with a copy of the book spread between them. 
Um, and then in the years following this, there are more deaths and they eventually lead to the closure of the school. So then a hundred years later, a writer named Mira Edmonds has written a hit book about the queer history of, of uh, Brocantz and it inspires a horror movie that is to be filmed there starring a lesbian it girl named Harper and a former child actress named Audrey. And when the three of, of them, the, the author and these two actresses, arrive on set to film, the lines between reality and Hollywood and the past and the present begin to blur. So um, this is my requisite gothic pick for, for <laughs> this list. Um, I think it sounds fascinating. I actually need to read this for work um, starting next week for uh, a review that I need to write. And we... Um, this was the one I jumped on because it it just sounded so, so different and interesting. So um, it incorporates lots of things that I love of, of creepy girl school with Gothic things and sort of behind the scenes Hollywood stuff. And so it just sounds um, like it'll be a really uh, different book than, than things that with, with like the illustration aspect to it, it just sounds really cool. So that is plain bad heroines by Emily M M Danforth. I haven't read that one yet, but somebody on my committee has and loved it. Loved it. Oh, loved good. It. So Everything excited. I've seen is yeah. just going crazy over excited it. To, I'm excited to dive into that one. Cool. All right. My next one is Pure Nisi by Susanna Clark. It comes out oh, September yes. 15th. Uh, this is another one I've already read. She wrote Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, which may be the, some a book that most people know about or have read uh it's Mm -hmm. a book that many many people love i will admit i started that book but have never finished it it is very long and i think i was about 200 pages in wasn't really feeling it decided to set it aside until some later date um which is that later date has not come yet (laughs) uh and that was probably like seven years ago i started it Piranesi is a very different book though from at least the portion of jonathan strange and mr norrell or Norrell, I'm not sure. I've heard both. Okay, so I'm going to go with my instinct, which is Norrell. It's a very, it seems like a very different book from from what I read, uh, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. It is a quite uh, slim book. It's not very long. And it's being marketed as a fantasy, which Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell is. But I'm not actually sure it is. And I don't I don't want to give away too much about the story by exploring why I'm not sure it's a fantasy. But... I just got to say, I don't know that it's a fantasy. It's written as a diary, which you know, and I cannot resist any sort of epistolary novel. <laughs> so I was in right away as soon as I started. And the man writing the the diary is called Piranesi by his mentor. But he's pretty sure that that's not his actual name, but he doesn't know his actual name. And he's convinced the so the person writing the diary is convinced that there are only two people left alive in the world he and the person that he calls the other and um, the other is obsessed with finding the great and secret knowledge which is capitalized in the diary and Piranesi lives in this labyrinth of a building full of big statues it's it's so large that it's it has microclimates where it'll have a tide that will come in and rise and um and then recede and and it's just this very sort of unknowable space the more he tries to explore it the more he discovers there's even more to explore than he expected and he has been tasked by the other with creating a map of this building Uh, and the other also warns him that there could be an enemy that might try to approach him and he needs to be very on guard of this enemy and and not not tell him anything and not interact with him basically so it becomes increasingly clear that things aren't exactly as Piranesi thinks as he's writing in his journal um, and you as the reader know that uh, but watching it all play out for Piranesi to figure it all out is is the real pleasure of the book I thought it was it's an incredibly inventive and unique story and I feel like it might be the most unusual story I've read this year um, although as I'm saying that, I'm realizing that The Deep by River Solomon probably takes that. Oh, I discussed yeah. that a few weeks ago. But um, Piranesi was, it was very enjoyable. It was a one sitting read. Like I just sat on the couch and devoured it. it it's it's so intriguing and fascinating. And you just want to see where the story goes. Um, and I think it's partially like the 
intimacy and immediacy of somebody reading somebody's diary. It's like you're in his head. So anyway, I, I don't want to say more because I think part of it is just the discovery as you're reading of the story. But that's Piranesi by Susanna Clark. I do think that if, if you are somebody who loved her first book, it is good, though, to know going in that it's a very different kind of book um, because... I think that people really love Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. And so I just think it would it's helpful to know it's not the same epic uh, story yeah. that that one was. But but very, very good book. Very good. I, I really love that book. Um, and I listened to it, which is kind of <laughs> crazy because it has footnotes all over the place. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> maybe not the best uh, <laughs> format for it, but it was very good. Um, but she doesn't publish very often. It's, no, this it's, is her first book since then. I think that came out in like, what? Gosh, I think that book came out in 2004. And yeah, somewhere in there. 2020. Yeah, something like Didn't that. Didn't she do a, a short story collection at some point? But I don't know if that was before. Oh, Jonathan she may Strange have. Or... I'm thinking novel. Yeah, I'm thinking. Yeah. Novel. And yeah. this is really almost a novella, but it's so short. I think it's about 180 pages, maybe, which which oh, wow. tips it over into a novel. But I think novellas usually are maybe less than 150-ish, but it's short. I mean, it's definitely a one-afternoon read. It is not a lengthy tome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, next is White Ivy by Susie Yang, and it comes out on November 3rd. And this is a pretty buzzy debut novel. It's about a young woman named Ivy Lynn who lives outside Boston, and she seems like the typical teenager, but her immigrant grandmother has taught her how to steal. So she takes things to allow her to pretend to have more wealth than her family actually does, and this draws the attention of her high school crush, Gideon Spire, but her mother discovers that she's been been that she has this habit of stealing things, and she sends her to live with her relatives in China, so that that you know cuts off everything that she was sort of building in her life. So then years later, as an adult, she's back in, in Boston and she runs into Gideon's sister and she feels like this must be fate, that their their lives have to be uh, crossing again for a purpose. So she slowly begins to immerse herself back into Gideon's life and the life of his family. And she's basically living aspirationally through them, um, through their various connections. And they have all these these comforts of of living the life of the wealthy so um she gets to go to parties and to weekend retreats and things like that so um it's really great for her but then her past starts to um catch up with her so those things always seem to happen when someone builds a fake life like like she's Mm -hmm. doing the blurb, which sounds really intriguing, says that it offers sharp insight into immigrant experience through the eyes of a woman who will take who will uh, get the life that she wants at any cost. So I like I like anything that sort of takes current issues and makes them into genre fiction, basically. So um, I don't know how much this will be like a thriller or if it will be a little bit more literary, but it, the uh, tone seems very propulsive, which I'm I'm pretty excited about that. So. Uh, that is White Ivy by Susie Yang. Gosh, that sounds good. Yeah. Really good. All right. My next one is The Thursday Murder Club by Richard Osman. It comes out September 22nd. This is another one I've read, but this is the last one that I've read on my list. <laughs> we only have two more. I know, but it was so delightful. I just wanted to talk about it. And I wasn't sure if it would fit into any of the topics, at least that we've talked about for the next few. So I thought, yeah. well, I want to talk about it. It comes out in a month. And so I just wanted to have a chance to share it. Uh, So it takes place, it's a mystery, and it takes place in a retirement home in England where every Thursday four of the residents get together and try to solve cold cases that (gasps) one of the other residents who is now in a coma, uh, she was a police officer, or she did, actually, they don't know what she did with the police department, but they know she has all these cold case files. So they meet every Thursday to try to solve the cold cases that she was somehow involved with. The retirement home brings in a police officer one day to talk about safety and just give kind of a general a general talk about practices to stay safer and stuff like that. And the Thursday Murder Club lures her in and says, come talk to us. We want to know more about safety. And then really they just want to like probe her about police procedures. They end up totally charming her. She thinks that they're just fabulous. And uh, soon after that, the contractor who built the retirement home is murdered. So of course the club decides, well, they have to figure out who murdered him. And there's, he, 
I don't know if he, now I'm having difficulty recalling if he's a shady character, but the guy who owns the retirement home is kind of a shady character. So there's, it feels like there's underhanded dealings maybe happening so that maybe that's why the contractor was murdered. Like maybe he knows something. Um, Anyway, so, but they decide that they're going to figure out what has, what has happened and also continue trying to solve the cold cases that the, um, their friend was involved in. And so it is just such a fun book. It is really funny. Each character has their own personality. Each of the four murder club members have their own personality and they're all, so entertaining and they all hold their own individually but then as a group they're such a pleasure to read about and the mystery is actually really solid I thought it's not just about the characters it's mostly I think that if you like it it's because you're going to like the characters more than you think that the mystery is just out of this world but it is a really solid mystery I did not I did not guess the solution ahead of time Ooh. And it's, I, I hope, I think it's maybe the start of a series is what I would yeah. guess. Um, but even if it's not, it's just fun on its own. But the way it's, the way the story is told makes me think that it's laying the groundwork for other, other books in the future. And I don't know, I just felt like having the protagonists as older people who all live together gives a really good dynamic to the characters and their interactions and the way they approach solving the case. And I just, I thought it was great. It's the Thursday Murder Club by Richard Osman. That's definitely a big publishing trend right now too, is, is elderly Mm -hmm. protagonists. So it's, it's kind of refreshing to see. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it felt to me. It felt like something fresh and I don't read as many mysteries as you do, obviously, but I, it did feel like something unique uh this year and at least the mysteries i've been reading this year yeah when you were talking about it it reminded me of a book that i thought i was going to talk about as one of my my preview books and i don't know why i didn't put it in um it's the eighth detective by alex yes i want to read that i want to read it's coming out this fall right yeah am i yeah it's coming out do that um, one when's it coming out I'm not sure. I'd have to look it up. But yeah, I yeah. think in the next couple months. Yeah. That's an honorary pick. Yeah. <laughs> that one reminded that me of eight, a little bit of Eight Perfect Murders, which I think I talked right, about. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And when you talked about that, I said, there's another book coming out that's also the eighth, eighth something. Yeah. And it's it's kind of crazy yeah, how yeah. publishing trends happen at the same time. I know. Time, it so. is funny because it's clearly not people taking inspiration from other people right. because books aren't out yet. So right. you wonder how that happens. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Something in the air. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I, uh, the next book is The Rib King by Lady Hubbard, and it comes out on January 19th. And uh, Lady Hubbard's last book was The Talented uh, Ribkins, which was very well received. Um, I haven't read it, but it's, it's on my list. And after reading the description for this book, it's definitely... Uh, jumped up on my list. So this is described as uh, Upstairs Downstairs meets Parasite. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of anything more beautiful than than that description. It sounds so good. So I just got approved for a, a copy of this and I'm so excited to read it. Um, it's set in the early 20th century and it's about a man named August Sitwell who is who was raised by the affluent Barclay family. And they're a white family who took him in from an orphanage and, quote, civilized him. And they employed, they've employed him as a groundskeeper for 15 years. And the Barclays have other black employees and they treat them well, um, you know, comparatively, but they all have an attitude of saving them, um, which is, you know, not real. So the family falls on hard times and a business associate of theirs suggests that Mr. Barkley start marketing the uh, black family cook, Miss Mamie's famous rib sauce. And they use this kind of grotesque caricature of August on the label. And it's of course a huge success, but Mamie and August don't get anything from, from that success. They don't get any money at all. And that leads to a rage that August just can't ignore and and something terrible sounds like it's going to happen. Um, so one of the reasons I've been kind of uh, more intrigued by this book is because uh, I've been following an Instagram account called Not Your Mama's History, which mm-hmm. is um, done by a Black historical reenactor named um, 
Shaney McKnight, and she does something called Problematic Mondays, where she shows something that's really accepted in white culture that's actually completely problematic, and it's always so fascinating to read her discussion of it. Um, Thankfully, she hasn't done any of them so far where I've been like, that seems okay to me, (laughs) but, um, you know, I'm sure that there are plenty of things that I I need to reassess in, in the way I see the world, but this book really fits into that idea of using Black iconography and not noticing the issues that surround it because we're just so um, blind to things that are, um, you know that that white culture has adopted from from others. So um, so everything about this just sounds interesting. So I'm really excited, and that is The Rib King by Lady Hubbard. That sounds so interesting. I have I've not heard of that. That sounds interesting. So this is the moment you've been waiting for. My next one is the romance. Finally, finally, it's called Spoiler Spoiler Alert by Olivia oh, yeah. Dade. Comes out October sixth, and you know I had to include at least one, so I decided to pick the one that sounded like it is just the book that. 2020 needs <laughs> like the book that the people who are living through 2020 need it is about april whittier who is a plus-size geologist who spends her free time writing fan fiction and cosplaying for her favorite book that's turned into a tv show it sounds like a game of thrones epic fantasy kind of show where people got super into the books and then they made a tv show and people are debating the differences and similarities and then writing fan fiction about it and it's it just sounds like that sort of world and I actually don't really know fan fiction very well like that that whole world I've never read any fan fiction um I feel like the only thing I do know about it is that Rainbow Rowell book yes yeah that's like the only thing I know about fan fiction <laughs> yeah but this still just sounds delightful so it's uh what happens is when a photo of April goes viral of her cosplaying the star of the show ends up asking her out on Twitter because all these people are fat shaming her and making fun of her for this photo. And so he decides he's going to save her from all of this by asking her out. But the secret is that the star of the show hasn't been very happy with the direction that the his character has been taking on the show for a while. So he has been writing fan fiction of his own to redirect his character's uh, storylines. And he has actually been communicating with April in this fan fiction community with them not knowing, or at least, well, I don't shouldn't say that. At least she doesn't know who he is. He may know who she is. but um, And they have lots of chemistry online, but then he asks her out, and so they're going to meet in person. And so the question becomes, well, will their chemistry be... Uh, will bear out when they meet in person and it just sounds really charming and everything I read about it says that April is not a damsel in distress at all who needs a man to save her like she's a very strong person she can hold her own and it's just really the story of two people coming together who have a similar interest and seem to have a lot in common so I love the whole premise it sounds fun it sounds interesting it sounds it's a, a nice peek into a world I don't really know uh, of the fan fiction world. So that is Spoiler spoiler Alert by Olivia Dade. That sounds super cute. Yeah. Okay, so last uh, is the In the Garden of Spite by Camilla Bruce, and this also comes out on January 19th, and this one is for all my murderinos out there. This is based on the story of Belle Gunness, the widow of Laporte, and she is pretty famous in the My Favorite Murder community. Um, she was a Norwegian immigrant, and she lived in Laporte, in, sorry, in Laporte, Indiana, near Chicago, and she was married several times, and her husbands all died mysteriously, and she also advertised for husbands in the newspaper, and all the men that went out to meet her disappeared. So this is, there's kind of a, a category of true crime of the Black Widow, and the, so this fits very um, solidly into that. And this is popular in the My Favorite Murder fandom because they're, the final line in her wanted ad says, triflers need not apply. <laughs> Is that where that comes from? Yeah, that's where it comes from. And so Karen on on My Favorite Murder says that all the time because she just thought that was the funniest thing ever. So this book says that it it delves into what might have been happening psychologically with with Belle Gunness, but it doesn't sound like it's going to be a warm and cozy revelation in any way. It sounds like it's going to be female ragey, which I think sounds fascinating. So it, it... I can't quite tell if it's going to be more 
uh, psychological or more horror based. I don't I don't really know if they're going to be um, terribly graphic in the book, but it 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 sounds very intriguing no matter what. So that's in it's hard to say that is in in the Garden of Spite by Camilla Bruce. All right. So my last one is The Cold Millions by Jess Walter. It comes out October 27th. Uh, Jess Walter wrote, among other books, The Beautiful Ruins, which was one of my favorite books the year it came out. It's been a little while. I want to say it was maybe 2012 or 2014 when that book came out, but I loved it. I've read it more than once. It just I don't, it struck a chord with me. And so I'm very, very excited for this one. It is set in 1909 to 1910. It is about uh, brothers uh, named Gig and Rye Dolan who are sort of uh, drifting through life. They hop freight trains and they grab day jobs as they can to make ends meet or seasonal work. And after having spent about a year doing some seasonal work, they settle in Spokane, Washington. And <clears throat> the younger brother is arrested during a riot. And and when he is, um, his attorney introduces him to Elizabeth Gurley Flynn, who is a union organizer from New York. And so there's clearly a story about unionization. And then they also meet a woman named Ursula the Great, who is a vaudeville performer and who immediately captures the older brother's heart, but she is in a relationship with a mining boss. And so that's about all I know. I I uh, haven't read much in this time period, so I'm excited just to read something that's historical fiction set in a time and an area that I don't read much about, the, the Pacific Northwest. I love that it blends historical, historically people who existed with fictional characters, um, which... I tend to really enjoy that in historical fiction as well. Um, so I just, I can't wait to read this. It sounds interesting. It sounds like, um, I feel like, you know, historical fiction seems to often <laughs> lean into World War II a, a bit too yes. much. Although <laughs> one of my favorite books I've read this year is historical fiction about World War II, which is crazy because it feels like how can they possibly, how could anybody possibly write a, a book that felt new about World War II? But she yeah. did. Uh, but this is, I think, just, again, time and a place that I don't know much about. I'm excited to read it. I love The Beautiful Ruins, so I trust that, um, I think I'll like the writing, and I just, I trust that he'll do a good job with it. So that is The Cold Millions by Jess Walter. Is this the first book since, oh, since then, or is that... It's his first novel, I believe. Oh, okay. There might be a short story collection between then and now, but uh, definitely his, he has. I don't think he's written a novel since then. All right, so that's it for our preview. Uh, we will be right back with what we're reading this week. All right, Anne, what are you reading this week? I am reading a romance novel. <gasps> Yay! So I looked at my whatever I'm using to track my books um, statistically. Well, it's Goodreads, but but my spreadsheet. Your yeah, spreadsheet. it's the the Book Riot one. Oh, um, yeah. and I have read just slightly fewer romance novels this year than mysteries, and I don't know what's going on. Oh my goodness! I feel like it's bizarre world. It is bizarre. Twenty twenty is doing weird things to people. I know. I know. I don't get it. Anyway, I didn't say the title. It's, it's You Had Me a Ola by Alexis Staria. And I am reading this because I started doing a Jane the Virgin rewatch, which I actually never finished watching it just by circumstances. So I, I just decided to start it over. And this is basically the perfect read alike for, for that show. So I just was in the mood for, for more of that. Um, although this, this seems to be a little bit more of a pure romance than the kind of telenovela spoof that, that Jane the Virgin is. But um, it has a lot of the same tone to it. So it's about a woman named Jasmine, who is a Latina soap star from uh, New York, and she's trying to break into the mainstream uh, acting jobs that she wants. And she recently has become a household name, but not for the right reasons. She was dating a rock star and her boyfriend publicly cheated on her. And so her name is now all over the tabloids and she's she's pretty miserable. So she uh, is about to start shooting a, a show. Um, she lives in LA, but she's gone back to New York to to shoot this um, series that she thinks will be her big break. And it's a streaming show um, on, you know, basically Netflix called mm -hmm. Carmen in Charge. And it's, it's billed as a bilingual romantic comedy. And so just as 
she's about to start shooting, her agent calls her and tells her that the male lead has been replaced due to an accident and that the new lead is this huge telenovela star named Ashton Suarez. And he's also hoping that the show will get him his his big break into Hollywood. He's from Puerto Rico originally, and he recently was killed off from his... I think starring role in a long time telenovela and he's approaching 40 and he's, he's been working in Miami for years and years and years and, and just has never broken out into Hollywood. And he's not really sure where his career is going to go at this point. Um, And he's also very private and he has a son that lives with his parents on Puerto Rico and he hides his son's existence due to something that, that happened in the past that they, they kind of reveal as the story goes on. So the first time that Jasmine and Ashton meet, Ashton spills coffee all over her and he's super awkward about it and it really gets them off on the wrong foot. But then when they start filming, they also have a hard time with chemistry because Ashton is just so standoffish and he won't go out with the cast and crew and he's just very withdrawn and remote, both in with his time and emotionally. Um, but they both are, you know, you're, you know, reading this and they both sort of have their perspectives going and they, they're both very attracted to each other, but they both know that it's a really bad idea to start something. Jasmine has just had this breakup and she's had a bad series of relationships with co-stars where she always ends up losing herself for the sake of the other person. And Ashton knows that it's a bad idea because the relationship that resulted in his son was the product of this sort of fling with an actress who who basically abandoned their son and so she's or, or so they're both wary of what could happen here but uh, then their romantic scenes start to not really work together because they just don't have any kind of relationship. They don't have any anything to build on. So Jasmine suggests that they meet up outside of work to work on this highly choreographed kissing scene. And they, through that, sort of start to talk and get to know each other. And Ashton starts to warm up and they just have instant chemistry. So I'm about halfway through right now and there's a lot of tension building. And it's, it's very fun. And I'm always up for a behind the scenes of Hollywood stories. So that's kind of what drew me in in the first place but those books are usually extremely white um and this is a very diverse book it's it's very very entrenched in latinx culture and there are actually a lot of bilingual sections which is kind of fun and it talks a lot about how there's so much writing on the show because they need it to be more successful to allow more latinx and and uh projects from other people of color to to happen in hollywood and so they feel a lot of pressure to do justice to to that community through this show and then her family's around because they're filming in her hometown. And so there's they bring a lot of humor to the book and it just has a lot of gossip and it feels really bright and colorful. And so if you enjoyed shows like Ugly Betty or Jane the Virgin, um, those are both mentioned in this book and they, they both feel very much like the tone of, of, of uh, this book. Um, I'm actually listening to this and it's great because you can hear the Spanish, which is much more fun if you don't speak the language than trying to read Spanish. <laughs> um, it's much more beautiful to hear someone speaking it very well. So I'm enjoying it quite a lot. And that is You Had Me at Ola by Alexa Staria. And that's so funny because my what I was about, I was waiting for you to finish so I could say, I have that on audio that I'm just about to start listening to. And I'm so happy when you were saying oh, that you'll it was, love parts it. of it were in Spanish. But I was thinking the whole time you were talking that you were reading it. So that's good to know that the audio is good. Yeah. Awesome. Well, and one of the the sort of storylines that are, you know, bits of story is that Jasmine doesn't speak Spanish very well. So it's it's perfect because then everything has to be explained to her. Oh, good. All right. So, so, so it's not hard. Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm excited about that one. Uh, what I am reading this week is actually A Deadly Inside Scoop by Abby Colette, but you already <gasps> talked oh, about that, that one. one. So instead, I'm going to talk yeah. about the one I just finished. But yes, I am enjoying A Deadly Inside Scoop very much. It is So what I just finished was Atomic Love by Jenny Fields. And I heard about this through Book of the Month Club, which I am not, I have never been a member of the Book of the Month Club, but I always like to see their selections. So I follow them on Instagram. Yes, me too. Yeah, it's just yeah. always fun to see what they um, what they choose each month. And so I saw this and I thought it sounded interesting. So I will say, I think you need to have the right expectations going into this one because I saw it being referred to as a spy thriller. 
And while it does have a spy element to it, I wouldn't really consider it a thriller. So I will just say that. I also just assumed, based on nothing, because I just assumed, based on the title, (laughs) that it was going to have some more to do about the actual creation of the atomic bomb than it does. So I'm going to tell you this what it's actually about, and I think you'll understand why I thought that. So it's set in in Chicago during the 1950s, and the main character is named Rosalind Porter. And during World War II, she worked on the atomic bomb. And she's a scientist, and she was the only woman on the team. And so the book is really about... So I thought the book was going to be more about her experience on this team, what they what that was like, again, basically just from the title of the book. But it's really because it's set in the 50s. It's really more about the effect that being involved in something that ended up killing so many people had on her psychologically. It weighs on her that she that thousands and thousands of people died. Um, and during the war, she had a love affair with a man uh, who broke it off with her very, very abruptly, and it, it really broke her heart. So the combination caused her to kind of retreat into herself and um, she is now selling jewelry at Marshall Field. She's not even in the the science field anymore uh, partially because the man uh, his name is Weaver the man that she was uh, involved with wrote a report stating that she wasn't psychologically fit um, to work anymore and so it basically ruined her career and now years later she hasn't done anything to try to rectify that or prove that she is fit Um, and so she's just kind of existing so then we so she's she's working selling jewelry she's just kind of doing her thing and Weaver suddenly reappears in her life begging for a second chance. And at the same time, she's approached by an FBI agent who claims that Weaver is actually working for the Russians and he wants her to inform on his activities for the FBI. And she is torn because she still has feelings for Weaver, but he hurt her so badly she doesn't know if she can trust him again. She learns some things about his past that make her question how truthful he is being now. Uh, and also she has the FBI saying that he can't be trusted. So um, it's really a story about Rosalind figuring out how to move forward. And there's a bit of a romance, which is very sweet. And it's, it's a really good book. I think that I enjoyed it a lot. And it was, it was, it was historical fiction because it's set in the fifties, but I didn't actually feel like there was as much atmosphere or sense of time and place as it, in some historical fiction novels that I've read. It was really more about the characters and Rosalind and the effect that the war had on the characters, I would say. there is uh, The FBI agent also fought in World War II and there were some physical effects that he had uh, and that impacted his personal life. And so uh, it's more about the characters and what they have gone through. Uh, and it is Atomic Love by Jenny Fields. I think for me, that's that's a really good point for you to say that it's it's more about how the war impacts them than than like the facts mm-hmm. of things right. because I think that that's what is my sweet spot with, especially war novels, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's why like Kate Atkinson is mm-hmm. is so good at stuff mm-hmm. like that because it's it's much less about or it feels just not quite as uh, like rote, right. Um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Like, like recitation of, right, of right. what happened. Well, and sometimes I feel like, and I know that this is not what's actually happening, but it feels a little bit like the, the authors have done so much research on a specific period of time and they kind of want to show it off. Yes. And I know that's not what's actually happening. I think they're wanting to make it feel real and, and, and insert things that into the story that would, that would put you in that time and place. But sometimes it feels a little bit too much like, I look at all the research I did, yeah. hear all these things. And so, and what what I liked about this was that wasn't the case at all. It was very much just assumed that you knew things about McCarthyism and you knew things about World War II and you knew things about the atomic bomb. And so it just sort of was incorporated into the story in a way where characters would refer to things that felt very matter-of-fact in a way, and I, I liked it a lot. It, it was interesting to me, though, to think a little bit about, would this satisfy somebody who wants a historical novel that's just so steeped in 
in history and like a sense yeah. of being swept away to another time. And I thought, I'm not sure. I just don't know. Because uh, yeah. it did really, to me, feel like it was about the characters and their relationships with each other and also coming to terms themselves with the past and moving forward and things like that. So, but it was good. It was, it was one that I was pleased to have that it came across my radar. Thank you, Book of the Month Club, uh, because uh, I don't know. I think that it would have been one that maybe wouldn't have ever risen to the top if I hadn't seen that they had chosen it. Yeah. So. All right. Uh, well, this was a fun episode. Let's go back and yeah. say everything that we mentioned. Um, I talked about Eat a Peach by David Chang, The Searcher by Tana French, Leave the World Behind by Ruman Alam, The Once and Future Witches by Alex E. Harrow, Plain Bad Heroines by Emily M. Danforth, White Ivy by Susie Yang, The Rib King by Lady Hubbard, In the Garden of Spite by Camilla Bruce, and what I'm reading this week is You Had Me at Ola by Alexis Daria. And I talked about When No One is Watching by Alyssa Cole, His Only Wife by Peace Adzomedi, One by One by Ruth Ware, Homeland Elegies by Ayad Akhtar, Piranesi by Susanna Clark, Thursday, The Thursday Murder Club by Richard Osman, Spoiler Alert by Olivia Dade, and The Cold Millions by Jess Walter, and then what I was reading this week was Atomic Love by Jenny Fields. <laughs> so if you would like to get in touch with us uh, to give us feedback, a uh, suggestion on a topic you'd like us to discuss, or if you want to tell us what books you're looking forward to this fall and winter, you can email us at wellreadpod at gmail.com. You can find us on our Facebook page, on Twitter, or on Instagram at wellreadpodcast. Uh, please pl- rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your other podcast provider of choice. It really helps people Find the show if you review us. Um, we do like good reviews over bad reviews, but anything is fair. <laughs> <laughs> our theme music is Kitten by Paddington Bear. We keep our show notes at wellreadpodcast.wordpress.com, where you can find a listing of every book we talked about in this and every episode. Thank you all for listening and happy reading. <laughs>